Let's pray once more. Our God and our Father, the words that were just prayed from Romans 8 could not be more appropriate. We who are in you, Lord Jesus, are now inseparably linked to your love, to the love of God. Now nothing can separate us from that love. We read those words on a page and we rejoice in them. And then we leave here and Monday morning comes and it's so easy to forget. It's so easy for us to be like Elijah, one moment literally on the mountaintop, literally flush with success, and the next day in a cave hiding from Jezebel. So I pray, I pray, Father, that there's words on a page here I have words I'm going to say, but I, I pray now that you would commission your spirit. Commission your spirit to come and work amongst us. Make these words come alive for us. Make them three-dimensional. Make them come off the page and make them dwell richly within our hearts. Do something new here today, I pray. Something that only you can do. And I thank you that you are a good shepherd. You know what that is in each one of us. So will you do it, please? Will you give us today's mercies that we need today, please? Glorify yourself amongst us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As sparks fly upward, so man is born to trouble. That's what Job tells us about us. Trouble was present even before the fall. Did you know that? Even before the fall, there was trouble. After all, why was there a dragon in the garden in the first place? <laughs> and trouble is part of the story. After all, God made us. <laughs> he chose to. Trouble is part of our story. But then with the, with the fall, of course, our trouble intensified and it changed. At first, our trouble was because we were righteous. Adam and Eve were righteous. That's why the dragon targeted Adam and Eve. But then after the fall, a second kind of trouble came, the trouble that results from sin. And then the, with trouble, there is always, always the fact that we lack. Trouble brings lack. We want which is difficult to process given what we heard last week about who this shepherd, this Yahweh is, the creator and the possessor of all. Yahweh! Yahweh! So why so much trouble? How do I process this? And how, what do I do with the lack that I fear I will experience? It's always been this way for God's people. The, the Psalms are full of David expressing his lack, his need, I just prayed about Elijah, how I feel so much like Elijah, flush with success and then suffering, great want. And then there's Jeremiah, Paul, think about Paul's life, shipwreck, starvation, exposure, beatings, stonings, <laughs> jail time, hunger. And Fox's Book of Martyrs records story after story of predations suffered by God's beloved, beloved people. And yet... And yet, David says, with this shepherd, I shall not want. 
So this is, the, this is the great challenge of faith. If Yahweh is this God, why do we suffer as we do, and what should I do about it? What should I do about my, my fear and, and my despair of tomorrow that I shall lack, that I shall want? Well, three parts this morning. First, we'll consider the problem of want, and then secondly, we'll consider the, the key principle operating here in this statement that I shall not want. And then lastly, we'll consider what, consider what should we do about it? What should we do about it today and tomorrow morning? Well, first, the nature of want. As I've, as I've already mentioned, we can see in David's life the two sources of trouble, because we are righteous and because we sin. Because David was righteous, God prospered him, and Saul became jealous and enraged and tried to kill him. And because David was unrighteous and took Uriah's wife and killed Uriah, Absalom, David's own son, became enraged and tried to kill him. As heat rises, so man is appointed by God, by Yahweh, for trouble. We can't escape it. And when trouble comes, then, then so often you and I, we, we have this fear that, that crops up so easily. And, and this fear, it's a... It's a it's a prophesying kind of fear. We, we look into the future, we think about tomorrow, and we forecast how we will be in want. We do the math, and we forecast, we forecast how we, given today's resources, are going to come up short. This then leads to a despair in us in how we cannot possibly deal with that future want with today's resources. So then we're prone to deal with this despair in one of three basic ways. And interestingly enough, in his famous book on Psalm 23, Philip Keller notes the three reasons that sheep get stuck and need rescue. And it's these same three reasons, how we humans deal with this, this despair, this, this fear of want. Keller first describes how sheep seek the smooth places, the smooth places, and then they lay down Unfortunately, however, the smooth place causes them to roll over and they get stuck, feet in the air. And we do the same thing. We, we seek the smooth places of pleasure to assuage our despair. I mean, it's, it's all out there. I mean, porn, weed, video games that, that give you a fake feeling of fake accomplishment in a fake world. And then we, we, we look around and we, we wonder why, in a, in, a, in a generation awash with this, why are there no young men who are, who are not disillusioned, who are not disinterested, who don't want to achieve, who don't, don't want to achieve anything? We say, oh, it's so strange. How can this be? Because we assuage our despair with pleasure. We actually teach ourselves to do this. We teach the next generation to do this. And then we wonder, this is so strange, so strange. But hey, you know, who cares? As long as I get to keep shopping and having abortions, it's all going to be okay. That's out there, but it's also in here. It's also in here with us. We do the same thing. And we also deal with our despair with stuff, with stuff. We fill our barns full thinking that will make us secure. Keller tells of how when the sheep's wool grows so full and heavy they get stuck in brambles and they can't escape. We do the same thing. We, we, we fill our wool full and we call ourselves secure because nothing has befallen us bad for a long time. 
But as someone else has put it, really, in reality, we're like billiard balls who think that they're only secure because they haven't been hit by the cue ball yet. And lastly, we seek to cure our despair with power, with power. Keller's last reason is that the sheep simply get too fat. Their, their center of gravity, they, they accumulate girth to them, and their center of gravity simply rolls them over. And we do the same thing. We, we get happy, fat, and sassy, acquiring power to ourselves, thinking that that will make us secure. But in the, in the end, the more our center of gravity rests on ourselves, the more wobbly we become. And we should note here how in our tendency towards despair, we're, we're always being shepherded. We're always being shepherded by someone or something. It's because we're all sheep. It's not a question of whether we are. After all, we're, we're sheep who think that we're not. Then it's a question of who or what, rather, is shepherding us. But we're always being shepherded by someone, by something. The question is what and to what end? We should not immediately read this psalm and assume that the Lord is our shepherd. That, After all, the reason why Jesus told the scribes and Pharisees that their real father was that old dragon is that they didn't know that. They didn't know that. They couldn't see it. Sheep don't see things. Sheep are dumb. And yet David here, David can confidently, exultantly brag to us essentially, and say, with this shepherd, I shall not want. So David, David has found his way out of this despair. David knows what it's like to have threats looming. My goodness, did he have threats looming in his life. But he can, he's found a way to see past his trouble and to see past that despair to something else, to someone else, to Yahweh, the Lord. David sees the eyes of faith, that this Yahweh, his Lord, will not leave him in the future without resources. He will supply him. I shall not want. This is remarkable. And, and this is remarkable when you consider David's life versus Saul's life. Saul makes one mistake, and God's like, you're out. David, oh my goodness. <laughs> Bathsheba, Uriah, Goodness gracious. And yet it's not Saul talking here. It's David talking here. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Or as he can say later in Psalm 34, verses 8 through 10, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him, the Lord. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. Those who fear him have no lack. The young lions, they suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Amazing. And amazing that it's David saying this. Yahweh dismissed Saul, but so cares for David, that, such that David can confidently expect, expect that the Lord Yahweh will provide him all the resources that he needs. Regardless, Regardless, this is, this is the kicker, comparing David and Saul, regardless of whether his want is due to trouble for righteousness' sake or because of his unrighteousness. Either way, that's how privileged David was. Do you see? D David has this expectation either way. That's privilege. 
That's privilege. By the way, David is not saying, therefore, I'm going to relinquish my privilege. I'm going to surrender my privilege. He's calling all of us to join in with him in this awesome privilege. Though David is weary and heavy laden in this Yahweh, he finds the provision that he needs. Thus, in the previous psalm, Psalm 22, though David begins with the famous cry in verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is a bold and confident cry because it ends with verse 26. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. So, I don't know about you. Well, I think I do because I know about me. I want this confidence. <laughs> I, I want to walk in this confidence. I think you do too. So the question, the question before us, we, we should not assume, well, well, of course, this psalm's about me. I'm a good American. No, it's not about you. It's first about David. And, and the question before us then is, how do I get into the psalm? How do I occupy the place of David? Is, is there a way that you and I can, can stand in the place of David and experience this confidence, this exaltation, regardless of what we face tomorrow? Is true victory over despair really possible for us? And the answer begins in the garden. <clears throat> Our first mother Eve took and ate of the fruit because... With the dragon's help, she despaired of her future. She believed that she would lack. She thought, God's holding out on me. And he will. He will hold out on me tomorrow. And so she and Adam fell, but God broke their fall and broke our fall with a promise that an offspring of Eve would one day come and crush the dragon's head. And more than that, he would restore Eden. He will lead us back through that door guarded by those two angels. And then comes Psalm 22. David, it turns out, serves as a picture in advance of this offspring of Eve. Thus, it is no coincidence that when Jesus was hanging there on the cross, his final words were Psalm 22.1. When he died, he broke our fall. He fell where we were supposed to go, into the grave. We were supposed to be alienated from this holy Yahweh, kept at a distance, with no hope of occupying David's privileged place of expecting provision from him, regardless of what may come. But Jesus went there instead. Jesus was alienated. Jesus was cut off instead for us in our place. And then three days later, verse 1 of Psalm 22 would lead to verse 24. He, God, has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, though he did on the cross. He has heard when he cried out to him. God raised Jesus from the dead, and now Jesus stands before God, perfectly approved at the Father's right hand, ascended on high, in perfect privilege, pleased by God. God always saying yes to him, to everything he asks for. And when Jesus ascended to heaven, he poured out his spirit on his people, giving us faith. And it's that faith that connects us by the Spirit to Jesus, to his privileged place, so that now all who trust in Jesus occupy that throne with him, stand and sit in that, in that privileged place with Jesus. Thus, Jesus could say in John 6, verses 31 to 35, 
excuse me, verse 29 through 35. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. The work of God that you believe. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to, him, said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, the, the manna in the wilderness. It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 34, they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is the manna from heaven sent from God to reconcile us to God and place us in his privileged place with God. He is our bread from heaven. And the way we receive this bread is by stopping and and working for it ourselves, but instead doing the work of God, which is faith, faith in his work for us. Faith in Jesus places us in David's privileged place where by purely by God's sovereign grace, not earned one bit in the face of all of our sin, we can say the Lord Yahweh is my shepherd and tomorrow I shall not want. As was prayed earlier, this is, this is a, an unbreakable place, an unbreakable bond. The only way you could break this is if you could put Jesus back into the grave and back onto the cross. If you could put his blood back in him and reverse everything that he did. Well, I'm not done with John 6. Then the promise of victory over despair comes for us to Matthew, excuse me, Matthew 6, verses 33 and 34. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Verse 34 Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Today there is trouble, and tomorrow there will be trouble. God appoints both. It's part of the story. And yet, God promises to give us provision today for today's troubles, and tomorrow, he promises to give sufficient provision tomorrow for tomorrow's troubles. In Christ. In Christ, our bread from heaven. In Christ, we no longer need to despairingly count up Today's resources against the threat of want and lack tomorrow. Now that math no longer works. Because we are promised provision for today's troubles today. And God is a just-in-time God. And he promises to bring us grace tomorrow for tomorrow's troubles. Just as Yahweh provided manna in the wilderness and Israel was commanded They were not to store up the manna in jars today for tomorrow. They were to eat what they were given today and trust God for tomorrow's grace. Tomorrow. I 
I experienced this firsthand recently when we lost our car and we, we wondered how we might find another and the Lord provided a new one um, through the generosity of, of some of you. And as we drove around in it for the first time, I turned on the radio and the first song that came on was a, a black gospel choir singing about Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh, the, the name that Abraham gave to God when God provided a ram in the thicket instead of his son Isaac. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. The Lord provides. And he is mine. I can say that he is my Yahweh. He is my Jehovah Jireh. And tomorrow I shall not want because of me? Because of the strength of my faith? Nope. <laughs> uh, no. But because of the work of Christ for me and because of his sovereign grace upon my life and because he has chosen to put his glory on the line. He has chosen to put his glory on the line in providing for his own. God is in a great glory competition in the world. He has said, here is my pasture and let me display my glory and how I provide for this pasture and the rest of the world can see whose sheep are the best cared for, whose sheep are the best provided for, whose sheep are really flourishing. God has decided to do that for his own glory and why has he landed that grace on me? I have no idea. He loves me because I, he loves me. And nothing can thwart him. He is to Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Okay, so um, Tuesday afternoon is still coming, though. <laughs> it's like, you know, great, Jed. This is, this, is a, this is good, man. This is a good, you know, we all nod our heads. <laughs> and then Tuesday, you know. I don't know what Tuesday, but Tuesday, you know. Maybe Monday, I don't know. So, so, so what do we do with this? How, how does this plane land? And, and, and let me say, um, it's a fight. Faith is work. <laughs> Faith is work. Jesus said it. Do the work of God, which is believe the one whom he has sent. Okay, that's work, right, okay. If it feels like work to you, congratulations, you're probably doing it right. <laughs> and if it doesn't feel like work to you, maybe you're not. Maybe you're not in the game. So I'm, I'm going I'm to give here seven, seven practical themes here about this fight of faith to, to believe and to, to walk in faith in Jehovah Jireh and Maybe one or two of these are what you need. I, I just pray now for the Spirit to, to deliver this to you and to give you what you need. I don't think that all of these are for you, but maybe they are. I don't know. Seven steps. Number one, the theme of sovereign salvation. Sovereign salvation. Christian, you must remember that Yahweh is sovereign over all things. The trouble in your life, He has appointed. <laughs> when you're in charge of everything, like, like, like when you're in charge of every particle and atom and undiscovered bit of substance in the universe, 
and every planet and every star and every breath you take and everything else, when you're in charge of everything, then whatever happens, that's on you. <laughs> God, God appoints our trouble, and he has so from the beginning, but he also appoints provision, again, in just the right time. He's a just-in-time God, and in all of it, in all of it, remember last week, remember that he is Yahweh. He is perfect. He is perfect in all things. And so the trouble that he has appointed in your life and the provision that he meets that trouble with in your life is perfectly appointed. And you say, don't feel like it. Okay, that, that's why it's faith. <laughs> that's why it's, you, you can't always see it. So therefore, brother and sister, the first thing that we must do every morning is, is wake up and preach the gospel to yourself. Day by day, remind yourself of what Jesus did for you to place you in the privileged place of David. Privileged with God's eye of blessing upon you. Faith in the gospel. Faith in the gospel is the first step of seeing past our despair about tomorrow. Remind yourself of who you are in Christ. Let that speak more loudly than all the voices that are looming over your face when you wake up in the morning. Or maybe that's just me. Let the gospel preach a louder sermon than those voices. So that's number one, sovereign salvation. Number two, summing up in the sun. Summing up in the sun. So there's still, we're still left with the question of, okay, why all the drama? You know, why all the drama? Why, why does God like to take us right to the edge? You know, why does he do that? Well, in part, I just answered it by telling you that story about when I turned on the radio. God is doing, from the very beginning, has been writing a story. He's been writing a story, and the reason he is writing this story is, is to show the world that he is the hero of the story. The glory of his grace is to be magnified in the story. He is the hero, summing up all things sovereignly in his son. That's his purpose. Summing up all things in his son, who is the bread of heaven, who is our supply, who is our provision. And so... In a way, you don't need to ask yourself, how do I glorify God in my life? God's already up to that. God already woke up this morning thinking about that. Our job is to simply trust him, to trust him. Your job and mine is to believe. So first, sovereign salvation. Secondly, summing up in the sun. Thirdly, secure in the spirit. Secure in the spirit. Do the work of God, which is to believe his promise of provision today for today and tomorrow for tomorrow. This is what faith is. Faith is forward-looking. Faith trusts God tomorrow and what, for, for, the, for the grace, for the provision that I will need, for the challenges that I face tomorrow. And the ground of my faith, the, the feet that I stand on, uh, Revelation 12 says, is the blood of Christ, the, the promise of God that he will fulfill this promise. The, the, the proof that God will fulfill this promise to us is the spilled blood of his son. He who gave us his only son, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things, Romans 8 says. So, do the work of God, which is to believe his promise of provision today for today, tomorrow for tomorrow, and, and rest 
Rest in this truth that even if tomorrow requires you to be persecuted for your faith, not just ordinary trouble, but, but trouble, trouble, to be persecuted for righteousness' sake, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4, 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, in that moment, you are blessed. You are blessed. Why? Because in that moment, at the very moment that you suffer slander and indignation and exclusion and rejection and hatred, at that very moment, just in time, God commissions his spirit of glory to come upon you and rest upon you to provide for you, to protect you. He did it for Stephen, carrying Stephen all the way through his stoning, and he will do it for you. He will provide. I heard someone once say, who's a swimmer, he said, um, he said I, I, I don't know what it would look like. I have no idea what grace would look like to drown to the glory of God. How do you drown to the glory of God? He said, I have, I have no idea what that grace, what that, what that mercy, what that help would look like, but I must believe, I'm commanded to believe that in that moment, grace would come to me, the spirit of glory would come to me and enable me to drown to the glory of God. <laughs> okay, so, so that's the first three. The, the fourth one is this, shovels and sweat. Shovels and sweat. Sometimes we don't have because we don't get up early enough. <laughs> Sometimes we don't have because we're afraid of hard work. And yet the work of faith begets hard work because, because of his salvation in the Son, we, we are secure in the Spirit. And, and when you are secure in the Spirit, your, your work no longer attempts to replace faith. Your work no longer attempts to replace faith. Our work, when we are secure in the spirit, our work is no longer itchy and agitated with insecurity, but that doesn't mean we, we no longer work. No, in fact, it means that we're free now. We're free to work by faith, optimistic that God will provide through our labor. The Protestant work ethic came from faith, from faith in the promises of God that tomorrow, if I work, Yahweh will fulfill his promises and provide for me through my work. He will provide, I shall not want. Pick up the shovel. <laughs> faith that hopes in his promise hits the pillow at night and goes to sleep quickly, unhindered by despair for tomorrow. Sweet is the sleep of the laborer, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes. Okay, so number four, shovels and sweat. Number five, sheep, smooth, sheared, and svelte. <laughs> to, paraphrase, to paraphrase Keller in the words of John, we are sheep and we don't, we don't realize so often, we don't realize how much we are shepherded by that unholy trinity of the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, 1 John 2.16. But our good shepherd does. He sees us. He sees it, that these sins, they're not just out there with them ones out there. They're in here in us. And we sheep, we're dumb and we don't realize it. But our good shepherd does and he loves us enough not to leave us stuck. Not to leave us uh, uh, wasting away. Wasting away in 
in those desires and in the pride of life. He loves us enough to come near and set us aright. So, as Keller says, on the one hand, it doesn't feel good to be set up right again. You know, to have the shepherd have to come along and, and shake your limbs because all the blood is drained out of them and to, to make you walk upright again. It, it, it's not fun. It's not enjoyable to have your, your, your wool coat full, so full, to have it sheared off. It's no fun to go through a season of want to lose spiritual weight because we've grown too happy, fat, and sassy. That's, none of that is fun. But the shepherd knows what he's doing. The shepherd knows what he's doing. This is what Peter's talking about in 1 Peter 5 when he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. To paraphrase Peter there, he's basically saying, stay on the operating table. The surgeon knows what he's doing under his mighty hand. Stay on the operating table. Don't crawl off. Let him finish his work because this, this surgeon, this good shepherd, the bruised reed, he does not break when he comes upon you, and, and even if it's because of your sin, and he sees that you were once a, a great flame of God's glory in your life, and now you've, you've come down to just a, just a little smoldering wick of a candle, he doesn't come upon you and go, ugh, He doesn't see the, the, the reed hanging here and go, ugh. No, he's gentle. He is gentle at heart, Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Here's where I need faith because, because all discipline is painful at the time. Hebrews 11, or excuse me, Hebrews 12, 11. All, all discipline is painful at the time, but the shepherd has the best goal. He wants to yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Our good shepherd is leading us to pastures of peace where we can graze happily, contentedly, full of life, flourishing flourishing so that all the other pastors of the world would look across the fence and say, I want some of that. Can I get in? Who's your shepherd? Well, let me tell you, the Lord is my shepherd. That's why I don't want. <laughs> the life and I, this, this pasture that he's, he's building for us, that he's bringing us to, it's the life that you and I have always wanted. We just, we're sheep. We look for it in mud puddles and everywhere else because, you know, sheep. Number six, surrender and soldier on. Surrender and soldier on. The, the great need, the great need of sheep is to surrender themselves to the words of their shepherd. Much of our affliction in life is because we simply agree with the scriptures only when it agrees with our predisposed notions of what should be right and wrong. We do not surrender ourselves like children to all of God's word, even the parts that we don't like or that we don't understand. But that is what a sheep is called to do. This is the reason why God is taking our own society through its own shearing and weaning is that we have wandered so far from his royal law, but judgment begins with the household of God, Peter says. So we must surrender ourselves first to all of his words, not, not just the parts that we understand or that we agree with, but from the very beginning to the very end, even the weird stuff. But what this does is 
a, a, a surrendered man is an activated man in Christ. Because when Christ welcomes a man, when a man or woman comes to him and surrenders to him, he doesn't take us and enslave us and then hide us off. He enslaves us, he takes us to himself, and then he redeems us and shoots us back out again as messengers of his glory. And Jeremiah 29.7 says, it commands us to seek the prosperity of our own city For in its prosperity, we will find our own prosperity. God will provide for us through the prosperity of where we live. But the only way a people prosper is if they align themselves with their creator. That is the only way that Elk Grove, in the end, will prosper, or this county. So, Christian, do you want to prosper? Then pray for the conversion of Elk Grove. Do you want to prosper? Pray for the gospel to run in Sacramento County. And then, and then, again, faith comes first. Believing that the Lord will provide. So we, we pray and, and we believe. And the next thing God calls us to do is go bang on doors. Go bang on doors and, and, and not, not to deliver them some dark news, but to tell them that we're at the dawn and the light is coming if you would believe. The light is coming. This need not be the end. It can be only the beginning of your eternal bliss and blessing that is only found in him. And more than that, between here and there, between east of Eden and back to the garden, more than that, there will be daily bread, morning mercies from here to there, every step of the way. As the book of Lamentations says, his mercies in the darkest of days, the writer of Lamentations says, his mercies are new every morning. Who? Yahweh. This God. So, surrender and soldier on. Bang on doors. Tell the world of this Yahweh. Brag like David. (laughs) Not on yourself, on this God. Well, number seven, lastly, seek the Son. Seek the Son. Jesus said many times we do not have because we do not have the simplest, most basic faith to simply ask him for it. To simply ask him for it. But he is Yahweh. He created it all. He owns it all. He owns it all. And and you're just a sheep. No offense, I'm just a sheep too but we're sheep by his sovereign grace who have become the very apple of his eye. (laughs) The very apple of his eye. And so we may rightly, standing on the blood of Christ, we may join with David and the writer of Lamentations, betting on the fact that his mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And what does hope look like? The most basic shoe leather version of hope is prayer. God, oh God, my Yahweh, my Lord, will you provide for me today and will you provide for me tomorrow? And by the way, the reason why I'm asking is because you promised to. (laughs) And then we can walk away. We can walk away from that prayer singing Romans 8. Singing Romans 8 in our hearts. Singing Romans 8, fighting against the despair that would take hold of us. Singing, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who or what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else, and all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. The last phrase is the most crucial. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. By faith in him, we have all the privileges of the Son of God. We may rest in that and bet our lives on that. May God, by his spirit, enable us to do just that. Let me pray. Oh God, please do that. Please create in us, please enable us faith. Faith that bets on your following through on your promises. Your promises to provide. Give us faith to trust you that you are indeed the good shepherd the shepherd that will never leave us nor forsake us. The shepherd that promises us, fear not, little flock, for it is my Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Oh God, grant us faith, overflowing faith, that we might believe that and walk in that, rejoice in that, preach that, proclaim that, that the nations would come in and that your glory would increase in the world. And Lord Jesus, will you come soon too? (laughs) Will you come soon too? We look forward to the day when all of our trouble ceases, when every tear is dried, every disease is healed, every trouble is erased, and we can simply bask in the glory of your light. So bring that day very soon. And until then, grant us to walk by faith in you, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Receive the benediction from the end of Psalm 22. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. This is your God, your Yahweh, Christian. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him, and it shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. What has he done? He's provided for his people every step of the way until the very end. He will do it. He will finish what he has started in your life. Amen. Go resting in that. Amen.